Hey everybody, this is Dan, host of the Crown and College Show, brought to you by the Coast of the Podcast Network. Do you enjoy reading, but also like to hear your books every once in a while? If so, I've got just the thing for you. Audible is an audiobook service brought to you by Amazon. So go to audibletrial.com slash coldslither to get a 30-day trial plus a free book. In doing so, you help to keep our show free, which we greatly appreciate. Thank you very much. Enjoy the rest of the show. The following is a CSPN Media podcast presentation. It's, it's one of those, it's the thing where the quarterback play in college football is so bad. I, I just can't see, once you, once you get your top three guys, it's going, it, you're literally throwing darts. Well, it's a and, system, it's a system thing now. It's not yeah. really a development of the quarterback. It's just, mm-hmm. can we get the quarterback that fits our whatever tricky, tricky system we're running? Because you don't have a, you don't have team, you got Florida State. You got Florida State, LSU tries to do it. You got USC, Michigan, Miami. You might have like seven teams that kind of run your quote unquote pro style offense in college football right now. Out of God, you know, all the hundreds of teams that are in college. So, you know, you don't really have any production of quarterbacks for NFL style football, but coming from like, you know, just a few spots. And, and on top of that, here's the thing, and it, and I'm bringing Kaepernick in this conversation too. Why is it that the NFL is so insistent on style of play as far as the quarterback position? It's like we're going to make you play this certain style instead of you coming in and doing what you do best. Hey it's man, like I- you, you have to reinvent the. It's like you have to reinvent the wheel, and then you blame the guy because he can't adjust. I was screaming that whole thing. That's what I was screaming when Robert Griffin yeah, was I've out here. When Robert Griffin was out here saying, I don't want to do that no more. And I was going, son, you just don't know what you're asking to do. Because <laughs> you're mm-hmm. not prepared to do what you think you want to do. Like, they are helping you so I, much. I imagine Don saying that to RG3 like your uncle that, that tell you, you don't know shit about shit, boy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you better just cash them you, checks. You, you, you still want to play basketball. What are you, what are you talking about, boy? Yeah, man. He just he just didn't know how. I bet you, in like three more years, when he doesn't play football for a couple of years, he'll really reflect back and go, "Man, I should have not have been so resistant to what they were doing because they were keeping me in the league by playing the style of offense they created around him." But I should have listened to Oklahoma. Yeah, man. He could. I don't know if he really could have been great. He would because he never really seemed to develop the true pocket skills that you really need to kind of get like you know cam's getting where now he can just stand in the pocket and beat you if they protect you don't have to necessarily run but i don't know if rg3 would have gotten that as fast as cam did because he he had no way to navigate the pocket he didn't feel pressure or none of that stuff so yeah but i think eventually he would have had to because the wear and tear would have got to him which it did you know You know, I mean, you you leave that pocket, you're pretty much putting yourself at more risk than just taking a hit. Well, and he was more. You're, I, I feel as a quarterback, you're more in danger in the pocket. You yeah. know what I'm saying? So if so, like if Tom Brady could really run, he would run. But because he can't, he just knows he just needs to throw the ball real fast. Yeah, because yeah. he run like he run like somebody doing their taxes. 
<laughs> but if you leave it wide enough open for him, if he ain't got nothing to do, he will run. You know what I'm saying? He'll take his little seven yards and slide. But you notice that's that the, that's the thing, though. That's the that's that wear and tear. When you start getting out the pockets, you know you pretty much are putting more pressure on your legs, scrambling for more yardage than just taking those seven and slide and like yeah. playing smartly. You know, Tom Brady's not going to try to do a breakout forty yard, you know, run or touchdown run. He's basically just going to mm-hmm. slide out the way. Get, you know, save a couple yards, or or say save a couple yards, and make the throw. Or if you're coming clean, he's just going to do the Peyton Manning and just yeah. get down. You know, because so you're, you're wide open, down. so you, you're open to all those hits. You know, you're not protected anymore once you leave that pocket. Right. Yeah. So I mean, that's that's kind of like the, the the that was the Vic conundrum too. It's like, okay, well, he can do this from behind the scrimmage, you know, and, and pretty much just run the run the table. But you get hurt, man. You get hurt. Yeah. You, know, you don't just take a hit. Now you did not taking real hits. See, the worst thing that ever happened to Michael Vick was Jim Moore. I mean, not Jim Moore, Dan Reeves getting fired because Dan Reeves could live with him being a subpar passer because he knew how dangerous running was because Dan Reeves played defense in his career. He was a defensive coach. So he understood that, you know, Michael Vick running for 1,000 yards is probably more important than him throwing for 2,000 or 3,000 yards. But Mm -hmm. once they changed coaches and they wanted Michael Vick to try to do this quarterback stuff and – it was like he lost his superpower because he tried to prove everybody he could throw from the pocket. And, and then he realized that. And, of course, you had Atlanta at the time was stacked full of a bunch of deep threats. And, of course, once Michael Vick threw the ball past 40 yards, the accuracy went went nil. So he mm-hmm. couldn't hit those big plays anymore. Yeah. See, and Michael Vick is just sitting on him. He's like he was like Donovan McNabb was. His average pass needed to be like fifteen yards, like anything inside ten yards. He wasn't that accurate, but anything between like ten to twenty five, he could put it on guys. Mm-hmm. Maybe even had, too hot. Yeah, yeah <laughs> he just had problems with. Too. He just had problems with those, you know, those seven yard routes that you got to have that good touch and put it over somebody's fingertips, and you know, those were the throws he was having problems with. But it was fun while it lasted, though. Michael Vick experience was definitely something else. Well, you look at you look at your quarterbacks, um, your, your, your top college prospects um, as far as as far as quarterbacks. You know, if you're looking at college football today, you got um, it started with USC uh, Sam Darnold, who's a um, believe it or not, he's just a sophomore. So they expect <laughs> him to they expect him to declare um, and become draft eligible. So. Um, so Sam Darnold, Mason Rudolph at Oklahoma State. You look at um, Josh Rosen, who has actually made more name, made a bigger name for himself than uh, just playing quarterback at SEs. You know, obviously very outspoken. Um, dude wore F Donald Trump hat on his own on Trump's own golf course out there, and he's the son of. He's actually a relative of the uh, Warden family in the business school at Harvard. So. He uh <laughs> he can be very outspoken again, and he's actually spoken out against the NCAA and what they do. So a lot of folks are paying attention because of that. But he's also six four two twenty with a cannon arm, so um, he's definitely one to look at. And then you also look at Luke Falk out of Washington State, who's set around the same build. All these guys are six four in the um in the high two hundred pound area. And that's what they like. They're trying to build up these guys that are playing in some sort of pocket traditional style systems. So that's why they're looking to the West Coast so much, because there's still some coaches that that apparently believe in this two running back, you know, running back, fullback, I formation, pro set style with a tight end and two receivers. So I guess. Well, you're going to see a lot of that tonight. A lot more. 
You can see yeah. a lot of that tonight mm-hmm. from, from, from Jimbo Fisher. I mean, Jimbo Fisher, oh, yeah. Florida State's become kind of like the new place to kind of get your quarterback from because that's that's what they do. They they run a lot of that, you know, ace formation. You know what I'm saying? Heavy tight ends, two receivers, running back, eye form. You know, maybe a slot receiver in your eye form. So, you know, there's a, there's a few – like you know, the cool thing about Alabama is now that they got Hurts is they kind of sprinkle in a little bit of that, that option in with that heavy – so they're kind of fun to watch now because they've got diversified. Well, at least they were under Lane. I don't know what they'll look like this year. Well, with Hertz, well, Hertz does give you that threat, even though he's not a good as pa- good a passer as their backup, who I actually really like. But uh, you know, Hertz can take off at any time, so you still have that. But he's still learning. You mm-hmm. know, he's just a right. He's a rising sophomore, so uh, they they still have a ton of talent at wide receiver, which which is odd to me. How does Alabama get big play receivers to come to them? And they're not your tradition. They're not one of these spread it out, throw it tight offenses. But they always manage to have not only just a good receiver, but a great one. Oh, sorry. Well, because you got to have that one big play receiver at least to, um, you know, to make the defense respect it so you can get your running game. You know, it's not about necessarily how many times you catch it in a game. It's about where you catch it in how far down the field you catch it. So, you know, they may run to get going with their running game, get to the 35, and then they look up and say, okay, big boy, on the outside, it's your time. Play action fake, throw it in the end zone, you jump up over their, you know, secondary, and there you go. One catch, 35 yards, touchdown. You do that twice, three times a game. You're going to win more often than not. Right. Look at Now you got like a, got a succession of guys who can catch the ball that may only, get, only catch about maybe uh, – maybe 20, 25 to 40 balls a year, but they're averaging 18, 19 yards a catch. Look at O.J. Howard, for example, uh, Amari Cooper before him, and before him you had Julio Jones. So there is your succession, and now the kids are going to see, well, I may be, you know, the top-rated receiver that may be playing in an option offense or something or a wing T style, uh, one of those old-school offenses, he may end up being good enough to go to Alabama because he's he's a big target and he's got some speed and can get down the field. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you you got to have at least one receiver. You got to have one guy, the old Redskin uh, philosophy. You got to have one guy who can catch the ball, the sure-handed, that can get you the eight, nine-yard first down catches. And then you got to have one guy that can be the speed and get you the, you know, 40-yard, 50-yard touchdown catches. That's, you know, that's what they used to do with Art Monk, Gary Clark. Ricky Sanders gets you, you know, good running game, pound them, wear them down, take the first two, three and a half quarters to wear them down, and then in the fourth quarter, you release the receivers on them. Uh, you look at, there's another one that was another oddity, too. Same thing with, uh, we talked about Denarius Thomas. Came out of Georgia Tech, out of the la- one of the last wishbone veer offenses. Who was before Denarius Thomas? Calvin Johnson. Mm-hmm. So you're always going to need one big one, one mm-hmm. big target. But it's just, it's just as I watch um, college football and watch these guys eventually make that transition to the league, you just wonder why um, colleges don't adjust. So it's it's, 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 it's well, the, it, to me, I think especially uh, as a quarterback. Let's be let's be real, since this is the type of podcast we are. I think that's the way they keep white quarterbacks in the league. Yep. It's, it's, it's by it's by it's trying by to say, hey, you can't if you can't play this quote unquote way then you're not the type of quarterback we're looking for. Keeps the machine going because you feel you have to go through college to get your uh, get your experience to get in the league, you know, and it keeps, right. keeps keeps that uh, 
that that they labor don't. force, uh, you know, continue continue to feed and farm into uh, the league. Right. They don't make it easy for the quote unquote athletic quarterback to make it. You you have to you have to get a coach. See, that's why I always say, if you're one of those type of quarterbacks, you got to go to a defensive coach because they respect the running quarterback, the athletic quarterback, far more than the offensive minded coach does. Far more. Because yeah, they understand what the look at, threat uh, is. Look at um, the stories where you've got quarterbacks now in the league that have been, especially, I'll be dropping it again, we'll be straight up, black quarterbacks. Look at Tyrod Taylor. Tyrod Taylor was supposed to be a converted defensive back. Tyrod Taylor, who, you know, even though he's kind of kind of in that mediocre uh, stretch of athletes, he's in the league as a quarterback, and at his college, he was he was going to be a another converted defensive back. Mm-hmm. Well, if you look throughout the history of time, any black quarterback that's had a defensive minded coach has been good in the mm-hmm. time that the defensive coach was the coach. Then when they changed over and the defensive coach gets fired and they always go to the offensive coach, that's when you start to see them lose their jobs or get benched or whatever. But as long as like the defensive coach was there, everything was fine because they understood, they just understand there's so much value in this dude being able to play a style that you can't necessarily draw up, you know? So I mean, only exception would be, um, well, Andy Reid. Andy Reid. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. He's the only one. And, and that's the reason why they got Mahomes because he, he understands, you know, he plays a, co- a college style type of offense. So I can get one of these guys and I can put him in and actually he can play for me because we're not afraid to stand back in the shotgun and let him throw five, six, seven plays in a row out of the shotgun, then put him in the underneath the center, let him run a runner play for two or three plays and then put him back in the shotgun. Okay. Okay. Related, related topic. Here's the, the, the quote that incenses me when, they talk about quarterbacks from the spread. He has trouble holding the snap under center. What? <laughs> <laughs> what? That, I mean, and they actually use that as a a detraction for teams not taking a, a quarterback. We, we, That's like the we, lowest, we the lowest of total polls for a requirement as a fucking quarterback. Right, yeah. right. It'd be the different if they said it's mentioned. It's, it's just, come on, man. It'd be different if they said he has trouble reading the defense from under center. Now I could believe yeah. that. No, he has trouble accepting <laughs> the center snap exchange. Please. Yeah, hey, Tony Romo couldn't go like, for a, for a field goal, and he he made a career out of uh out of himself. So that's like that's like you going on a job interview with someone saying, and they saying they didn't hire you because you had the wrong chewing gum. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> Yeah, I don't, I don't. But you know, any excuse that they can do to 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 fault the the player in that regard, they'll use it. Yeah, somehow the player gets faulted and not the system that he runs in college. Right. See, that was what my biggest thing with RG three even coming to the Redskins was like, I don't know if this dude can do anything in the NFL wise. Like, you know, my thing was the same thing like he's never really taken a snap from underneath the the center before he don't know how to read the defense or take the drops or anything so when they actually like came out and had this offense that was like strictly created around him I was like well damn Shanahan showed more flexibility than I ever thought he had I mean Shanahan is the is considered to be the architect of the zone offense the zone read running game right so he's considered to be that guy 
So for, for them to actually come out with this offense that was tailored around what the kid could do right off the break, I was so hopeful, and it was so fun. That game against New Orleans, that was so fun. But if you really want to, if anybody ever wants to really watch how dangerous the zone read can be, watch the second quarter of the 2012 Thanksgiving game between the Redskins and the Cowboys. Mm-hmm. Still, still to this day, that's the greatest illustration of just how good Robert Griffin could have been and how dangerous the zone read is in the NFL. E- even right now, teams still run it, and they get a lot of good yards off of it, but they don't run it like they did in that particular quarter. Dallas was the better team and could not stop Alfred Morris. Mm-hmm. Could not. Yeah, that, that quarter no- is that, that quarter is when it, 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 you know, if I would have been Mike Shanahan and RG three would have been resistant, I just would have had that on loop everywhere he went. Like, look at how good you are in this. Look at how these guys are running wide open. There's nobody to there's nobody to read because the dude is running wide open. You just throw it to him. That's how just explosive that that second quarter was. So Damn, I, I knew that, I knew I knew that something was up when. The, I saw the Minnesota Vikings play the San Francisco 49ers, and the 49ers were on, like, the four-yard line. And they ran a read option with Kaepernick his rookie season. And this man went 97 yards to the mm-hmm. preseason game yep. off the read option. And I was like, I I just think I just saw the future. Yeah. 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 And, and, and to, me, to me, that same thing happened when uh, when Chizik decided to let Cam Newton go in, this, in the, in the – uh, in the uh, regular season again in Auburn, when he just let Cam be Cam, and yeah. Cam was just big. Cam made plays because he was bigger and strong and stronger than everybody else on the field. But when he got to um, when he got to that national championship game, and they and they thought Auburn, I mean uh, Oregon was going to just just outspeed their defense was just going to outspeed him. He actually got around them with no problem, and that was because. They took the zone. They took the zone read, and Cam. All Cam had to do was just make one man miss. Mm-hmm. It was like a punt return. Well, that's the good thing. That's the one thing I, I really commend Carolina for too. Is from the jump, they basically said, "Whatever we do on offense, tell us how your offense worked in in Auburn, and we'll figure out how to make it look like it can be ran in the NFL." And they yeah, still do that to this day. Defensive coach. Mm-hmm. And like now, literally one of the best defense and a coach from one of the best defensive minds in, in in NFL history. And now, like I said before, Cam's gotten to the point where if you protect him, he don't even have to run because now he can pick people out. And you know, as long as his feet, sometimes his feet still get him caught up where he doesn't throw accurately. But if his feet are good, Cam Newton's a really good quarterback. And that's the one thing that I really was my deterrent on him was like, man, his feet suck. Like he he's inaccurate just because his footwork is bad. But he's really worked on that the past like two or three seasons. Like the year they went to the Super Bowl, his man, his feet, his footwork was so much improved. Yeah, he, he was literally um, when he planted and turned and throw because he's got a bit of a sidearm delivery. Right. So when he to set his feet and literally keep his keep his arm from going wide, accurate passes all over the place, short or or intermediate, mm-hmm. and even in some cases deep when he had the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, yeah. it helped that T again was holding on to the ball for half the season, but. <laughs> <still>. <laughs> He should have put some pancake syrup on his dang on gloves. Even though they got all that tacky stuff on them these days, he still needed some some additives. 
Jerry Rice admitted to using stickers, so, <laughs> so <laughs> any, any, anything else. Man, the, the gloves they got today, though, man. Oh my, it's almost like they got Velcro on them to see some of these kids making these outrageous catches. Catch it's like that. high school and college now. It's not just NFL. They catch is that Odell back in the mates now. Just just in preseason, it just tells you how how um, impact resistant the gloves are. I'm you see the, the the windmill ones where he like reaches like over he does like a circle and catches the ball at the bottom of the circle you seen those yeah, that's, 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 those are insane. he made one at, uh he made one in preseason just like that where he he reached over the body and ball was ball was thrown all the way to the inside reached over the player's helmet and made the catch it was, it was ridiculous yeah yeah he's he's definitely a he's something but, else man but the thing is it was it was the same this it's not like he was just on the scene Beckham literally in his first collegiate game made a one-handed catch on a kickoff that was going in the end zone for a touchback. So first right. first time he touched the ball at LSU. Do you think he's the second most popular player in the NFL besides Brady, or recognizable at least? Maybe not popular, but recognizable. Yes, and 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 that should drive up his uh, his. Um, that's actually going to drive up his market too because he's starting to realize that. I personally think that Beckham being remember Victor Cruz. His his rating went up because of being in the end zone. Mm-hmm. Odell <laughs> is, is is getting into the end zone, and he's personable and relates to the younger generation. I feel the same way like him, and, and of course I'm gonna make this comparison because everybody's talking about it. Lamelo Ball, Odell Beckham, obviously. I know it's the hair thing, but it's the kids fly to those guys who have a little bit of eccentricism. They think they, they can have a little bit of fun doing what they do. And those two, these two guys emphasize that. So, yes, I think he's really, It's, it's really the flamboyance of today's, receive, of today's youth because, yeah. I mean, like, it's, the, the receivers have always been flamboyant, but it's been like, they were like T.O., brash, outspoken flamboyant. And now it's like, it's a different type of generation. So, like, that whole trash talk receiver is not the, not, not the move anymore. It's like, okay, um... You know, it, it, basically Odell is like T.O. for millennials, if I could just yeah. – yeah. It's like it, – it, it, uh, Odell is like the the, the, the little Uzi Vert for the young people. And they Absolutely. Like, exactly. Absolutely. Like we as older guys don't necessarily get what they see in them, but, yeah. you know, you just have to respect it. And, you know what I'm saying? Because you can recognize the talent, but the cultural significance, I think, is what a lot of people – because you don't really get that from a football player that's not a quarterback. Yeah. So, so, I, so I think that that's kind of where people are don't really have a grasp, like you're saying, Tyler, at just how much he connects with these young kids. Well, it, it took me, um, and it's funny you bring up little Uber Jeremy because it took me um, seeing his his uh, Beats interview that went along with his uh, with his album to totally understand how his concept and his mind works, and he really thinks the way these kids are taught to think. Uh, you know, and, and I think that when you can, when you show that same idea that's being taught to your generation, your generation connects with you. So, yeah. Odell, Odell's the same way. Well, I think I think another shift is, um, for some, like these kids as in rap today, they're, they're not trying to be gangsters or whatever. I think they have kind of more like this, I'm a rock star. Like, I'm not just the MC. I'm a rock star. Exactly. And, and you kind of see it in the way that they're dressing and kind of the music that they're making. 
that it's not just hip-hop centric it's like kind of all into everything like more like a rock musician would yeah, kind of make sing, so. singing and shit like that singing mm-hmm. the literally saying and, and Uzi literally said this in the interview he wants to do collabos with Marilyn Manson okay so bridging this back to back to Odell Odell says crazy does craziest interest stuff his whole season last year is an exercise in I'm doing my own thing you know, I don't care what you. It's almost like I don't care what you think. I'm going to be a rebel. I'm going to say what I want to say. I do do what I want to do. And bottom line, I know I'm worth more than a lot of these guys out here. So right. See, that's the thing, though. It's not. It's eccentric, but it's not like like you think about like what hip hop culture used to be and stuff in terms of like you know being gangster, whatever. He's not running up in clubs waving guns and shit like that. He's like mm-hmm. he's hanging out. He's you know he's doing photo shoots and stuff like that. He's like he's like. It's like when LeBron came into the league, was like, I want to be a brand, you know, I want to be a global brand and stuff. And people were like, what? What are you talking about? You know, you, you should just be like getting this money and getting hoes and stuff. And that's it. Mm-hmm. That's it's the same thing. Here's, but- the, here's the mastermind behind it, though. Being a brand is the way to get the money. And that's what yeah. LeBron, is, LeBron is teaching. It's smart. Yeah. But that's just shows how this, this generation, you know, outdoes the previous because all, all a lot of athletes back then were thinking about was I'm gonna just get this money, and you know I'm I'm, I'm gonna get my my stats and I'm gonna get my you know profiles and highlights and I'm gonna be on Sports Center. And, yeah, and I'm I'm gonna, I'm gonna I'm gonna get with as many ladies as possible and, and break Wilt's record or whatever have you, you know, and I'm gonna be in these rap videos. But the, and the thing is, they can still do all that. But now there's a bit of ownership behind it. That's it, mm-hmm. right, right. And I think I think Russell Westbrook is a big influence on a lot of these guys too, because you know he's he's definitely um, like he's kind of. Oh, you know, I think I think Westbrook has taken over like where Kobe was, where I think a lot of people who like Kobe yeah. like Westbrook just because they kind of have that same. Yeah. That same kind of mentality where, you know, I'm an outlier. I might not even be the best teammate or whatever, but I'm the best player on my team. And everybody respect me for it. Mm-hmm. And either you get on the train or you don't, but I'm not going to stop doing what I'm doing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's funny, but to see the thought of Kyrie actually doing that is, is I, I think you either going well you you've made that ship now so it's it's time to to sink or swim cuz that's exactly what he wanted so well, I think, again, Kyrie is trying to be strategic where he was like, you know, I was here for a season when it was bad and everything yeah. fell on me. And it looks like it's about to turn around and be bad again. And yeah, I don't think, yeah, I don't think he just wanted those problems again. You know what I'm saying? So it maybe the way he came out about it with the way, you know, it was framed that, oh, I can't get along with LeBron or I'm tired of LeBron being my daddy or whatever came out to the media. But I just think it was just kind of, you know, let me get ahead of this before the bottom hit. Yeah, that's my only real problem with it. And, like, because I, I was um, – I forget who I was talking to. I think it was Mikey. Um, like, it was Mikey or somebody else. Like, I don't fault Kyrie for, like, being like, look, the front office is a mess. I don't know if LeBron going to be here or not. Let me go ahead and secure my future before shit gets ugly. I have no problem with him doing that because that's smart as fuck. The problem I have with it is, like you just said, now the narrative that, like, oh, he couldn't get – a he don't like LeBron or, you know, and then on top of that, Kyrie ain't really did much. I mean, I know he said something like, you know, he's still LeBron is still his brother or whatever, but it's not like he's necessarily dismissing that either. Cause if it's like, if it's not the truth, then 
why like keep like let the meat letting the media keep running with that shit if you know that's not the reality? Because the reality of him like because I saw like his um from his um from his presser yesterday when he was up there going hey when he was talking about team and all this stuff and it's like nigga we have seen with our own very eyes you taking <laughs> and letting the clock drain at least eighteen and you up here talking about you want his team and you don't want to be the man boy if you don't and that's before LeBron got there. So it's like, boy, if you don't get your goddamn, <laughs> that's my only problem with it. Like my nigga, like nigga, you you left because you wanted to leave because you didn't want to be left holding the bag. Nobody with sense it should be getting on you for that. But be real about it. It is Cleveland, though. It is Cleveland. This, 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 you know, accepted for what it is, and not, and and to be honest with you, he went through the same situation in Boston because you know Boston will turn on you too. Uh huh. Yeah. Look, look what Boston had to give up. You know what I'm saying? Uh, mm-hmm. Ain't nobody wanted to get rid of our team. It's not like they were. It's not like they were a loser. I mean, hey. But I think that's another thing that LeBron has shown guys, especially Carmelo's situation is, if you you got to be a businessman and you got to beat the team to their business. And that's what LeBron has always done. He's always been one step ahead of the team. You know what I'm saying? He, he When it was like, hey, we could sign this extra year and get this extra money, he was like, nah, I'm good. Let me get this extra year free agency because he was like, oh, you know what? Them TV contracts is up, and I'm going to be a free agent at the same time. Mm, ain't that a good thing? And that's the way he worked. And on top of that, Chris Paul, LeBron, and all those guys forced in negotiations to have a salary floor the same year that the TV contracts went up. Probably the most brilliant move in collective bargaining in the last 30 years. See, that's what that's what baseball has been trying to get in, in implemented, but the owners don't want to do it because the, that means wow. that the luxury, they have to spend the money they make off the luxury tax if you're the Pittsburgh Pirates and the Brewers and all these teams that the Yankees basically put, you know, tens of million dollars in their pocket every year when they were having those large payrolls. So now it's like the Angels are like subsidizing all these teams through their, you know, luxury tax. Where baseball is like, we want everybody to be competitive, so you have to at least spend like $75 million. Because you got the money, stop just saving it. Put it back into the team. But, you know, they're not necessarily on board all the way with that yet. But that's what they've been trying to get you together. you how much money, how much extra profit that is? Oh, and yeah, that's remember, a lot. And remember, not all profits are reported because at uh, your luxury boxes are not regulated. So right. they can they can charge whatever they want to people right. who get luxury boxes. So there's well, no telling how much they make. But well, most of the time, the luxury boxes is what the luxury boxes and the sponsorships is what basically operates the whole operation. And then, like, all that parking and merchandise and stuff is kind of what keeps everybody afloat. And then, if they can get into the playoffs and the preseason games, that's where they make their profit. So, mm-hmm. you know, like a team like the Patriots or the team like, like we talk about the Bengals, how the Bengals haven't gone out of the first round in the playoffs, but they've been there. So every time they get one of those home games at the playoffs, that's straight profit because they're paying the, the players like a tenth of what they would normally make in a season. Exactly. But they're but they're still charging full price for the ticket. They're still charging full price for the hot dogs, the parking, and all that. So that's just straight cash. Actually, premium price for the ticket because there's a right. playoff that are a um a fifteen fifteen. So hey, it's still it's it's yeah, it is it is pure profit. 
Yeah, so that's the reason why they, that's the reason why they won't cut the preseason down. That's the reason why they won't do it. It's because you get every team gets two games to just make profit. No matter how many people come to it, they're make they're making profit off of it because the players don't get paid at all for the preseason. So you see somebody get hurt in the preseason, he ain't even got no check. Yeah. And he might be out for the season. That's that's the cold hard fact to the NFL boy. Yeah, if you don't have if you don't have a guarantee or or you know they may put you on injured reserve. If they're going to keep you, they'll put you on injured reserve, and you'll get a percentage of whatever you're going to make that season. But you get hurt, and you're basically you're drafted in the sixth round, and you get hurt. They get you an ins- they give you an insurance guarantee, but that's just a, a, a thanks for playing check. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Yeah. So that's, 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 that's no real money. I mean, that's a re- that's another reason why Kirk Cousins is being extra smart in a way by just playing off a year to year contract because you know what I'm saying regardless if he get hurt or not preseason regular season he gonna catch all his money. Yeah. Hey, well, Washington's front office has never been known to be smart on their end too. So you know he's pretty much just taking you know he's he's doing what he needs to do. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I don't, I don't think the skins have known what they were doing since uh, since Snyder took the team. So I, yeah. I don't like the. And Tyler, you like way in the back of the room. But another thing is like like a guy like um, Le'Veon Bell. I don't know if it was smart for him to hold out. I think he should have just come in and and from the jump because the Steelers pay their people. It. It's not like they it's do. not like it's not like the Steelers don't pay their people, and you know what I'm saying you're gonna get the twelve million dollars whether you come on September second or whether you come on July twenty second. You know what I'm saying it's still gonna be twelve million dollars. But nobody wants to do. Nobody wants to come to training camp. <laughs> Even if, but you're 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 Le'Veon Bell. You know you're gonna get a lot of preferential treatment anyway. You know, so it's not like he's a. It's not like he's a. You know, this is his first contract. As a, and he's kind of like an unproven rookie, and he's still trying to make or break the team. You know what I'm saying? He he know where he stands, so you know he wasn't going to you know just work out hard, show up to practice. You know what I'm saying? Maybe about the seventh day in, you say, "Oh, I got some soreness," so you can do some stuff on the side. You know how it works. They get some. You know, veterans get special treatment all the time. You know, Adrian Peterson hadn't played in. Pre- I think that was the first preseason game he actually played in, like last week for the first time in like three seasons. Because usually he don't play at all in the preseason. Right, and on top of yeah, that and the suspension. So yeah, he was. We yeah, need to talk about preseason. Real action. I mean, like preseason matters, and it doesn't matter. Preseason matters when it comes to like guys getting injured and guys being like, you know, like like. Do we add good guys on our defense or our secondary or whatever? It doesn't matter once you start getting into the fourth quarter and you see them players that's never actually going to play only unless you have like too many injuries to be good. Yeah, that's the that's the only time like the third and fourth quarter matter in the preseason. Like, oh my yeah. gosh, we lost our best two safeties and now this third string dude got to play. Guys trying to make the team, rookies needing to get some reps. That's it. That's yeah. what it's about. You know, giving somebody a look. You know, preseason is that garbage time. Except you unlike. Know, I think NBA preseason is like real good though. You can find out, you know, you can learn a lot about your rookies and your bench players because they make a big difference in NBA. I think their preseason is worth a lot more when it comes to evaluating. Yeah. Before you know, NBA NBA's coming too. Uh, Man, that's gonna be a lot. That's gonna be a lot of fun because NBA gonna be cracking from the jump this year, not just you know, oh, we'll wait till Christmas. Oh no, all these uh, off season moves and everything else, it's gonna be on. Yeah. So, who y'all think gonna win the Super Bowl? We'll do a little quick uh, roundabout here before we shut it down. Who you think gonna play in the Super Bowl? Not necessarily win it. 
Mm. Let's see. Jeremy, who you who you got? This is triggering. Get the get the rematch for Jeremy. Winter has come. You know what? I think it's going to be I, I think it's gonna be the Raiders. I think it's gonna be the Raiders and the and the Falcons. I'm going with Seahawks and uh, I don't want to do it, but yeah, Seahawks Patriots rematch. The one thing about it is, if it has to be Seahawks in Atlanta, in Atlanta, Seahawks have a terrible track record there. Mm-hmm. They do. Um, I wonder if that's yeah. I wonder where that game would be played. If it's in, if it's in Seattle, I'm gonna put my bias aside. If it's in Seattle. I don't think we go back to the Super Bowl. If it's in Atlanta, I think we go back. Yeah, I, I think so too, Jeremy. It's just something about when Seattle plays Atlanta in Atlanta. It's like they're not even. It's like it takes them two quarters I mean, for to I even mean, figure it, was, it out. And I'm like, I, listen, I'm the last person to whine about calls. But the last time we went to Seattle, even though it was in the regular season, that call against Richard Sherman. Oh, gosh, yes. That, that should have been called. I'm listen. I'm not saying we still would have won the game, but but decided the game though. Yeah, let's be honest. However, it's yeah. a rare call that that had a direct impact on the game. Yeah. So I don't know, man. Like uh, for real, I the matchup I wanted last year because I'm not gonna lie, I didn't coming into the season last year. I didn't think we would be as good as we was. So it was kind of a shock. To me, to be honest, <laughs> I thought we win the division, but I didn't think we would get to the Super Bowl. Um, but as it went, like I wanted to see like us play the Raiders in the Super Bowl. I really did. Like once it set in, like oh shit, we really got a shot to go to the Super Bowl. And I'm like I wanted to see us play the Raiders. So if I for this year, if I, I I'll agree with Don. Like if it's if if you ask me like who's going this year, I mean obviously, I mean I'm a, I mean. <laughs> I'm a. Why wouldn't I say Atlanta? <laughs> uh, but I would go Atlanta and the Raiders. You know that would be a fun Super Bowl, to be honest. It would. All that I mean, offense. All that offense. Uh, and you know they're gonna sell Amari going up against Julio. Yes. Yeah, that would be awesome. Mm-hmm. That's that would be must see TV, just because. Yeah, and then you have the story of you know the Raiders last season in Los Angeles and. Just the story history of the Raiders and the out and the Davis family and the NFL and, and just you know Goodell. I mean, it'd be a lot of storylines, and then you know Atlanta redemption and can they you know knock out the memory of last year and the fight to get back and you know it could be a lot of good stories. Yeah. Oh, speaking of, here's here's one for you: Seahawks Raiders Super Bowl. Mm. Marshawn versus his old team. Hmm. Mm. I mean, honestly, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be 100 percent honest with you. If the Falcons can't get back to the Super Bowl, anybody but New England, if we keep it honest, I'm just, yes, yes, yeah. I'm just gonna be honest. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. I, I, hey, what, what do you guys think absolutely. of uh, Arizona's chances, though? No, I'm, I'm Low. Got, I got problems with Arizona. Low. Here, I got two things. Number one is Carson Palmer. Number yeah. two, special teams. They have the worst special teams in the league. That is true. Even worse than Jacksonville. They're yeah. horrible. I listen to I actually listen to more coverage on Arizona than I do Dallas, and Dallas is my team. Arizona See, is not good defensively. They lost eight starters and they're and those they're asking for a lot of young talent to um to fill in. 
So they are going to be anybody that's going to be a drop off from a playoff team is likely going to be the charge. I mean, the uh, Cardinals. The, the wild card team that you need to look at, classic, if you're looking for like a wild card team in the NFC, is Tampa Bay. Tampa. Yeah. yeah they they, they like, on the they on the edge of being like, this could be their year where they break into the playoffs. You know, every team gets that point where they just got to get to the playoffs that first time. Yeah. Jameis will be his first time. It's going to his fourth year or whatever. So they're right there with the additions they made on offense. Their defense has been building for the last couple of years. So I think Tampa Bay is right on the cusp. And then I think next year, Philadelphia is going to be in the same spot where they're going to be right on the edge of being like getting into the playoffs and starting to make their noise. Yeah. Philly's getting let's let's make sure let's make sure that uh, there's going to be somebody there that can catch the ball in Philadelphia first. Let's, 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 you know, if Elson Jeffrey stays healthy, they got him. Elson Jeffrey's a beast. He just had injury problems the last couple of years yeah, and he's yeah. playing in Chicago. But he's yeah. in all the preseason games, you know, he's been, you know, five catches, you know, at least in some of these preseason games I saw. So he was, he was a player. He was a player that I had on my radar. Nelson Aguilar has got to got to be the guy. I, I yeah, like Jeffrey too. But Jeffrey's good, but he's he's a number two. I don't I don't see him I as like. A, I think this is one of those. He doesn't have the quarterback that's going to make him break out to be a number but, one. So, but, but here's the thing, classic. You just you just need to be a number one receiver for the team you're on. See, that's yeah. that's what I'm saying. You know, you're saying like your perception of him may be wherever you you rank him. Yeah. But when it comes to Philadelphia, oh, he's the best receiver we got. So you know, we're going to design our stuff. To you know, get him open and get him the most touches we can. See, mm-hmm. that's where coming into fantasy football, you have to change your whole realm of thinking as to you know, this is where I think this person is or that person right. is. But when yeah. it comes to picking these players, you need to be like, oh, you know what, Tariq Hill, he's not really that good to me as far as you know. I wouldn't put him in the top fifteen receivers, but he's the best player they got on Kansas City, so he's going to be worth a whole lot. Yeah, that's a good point. Hey, Wilkin Dolls. Approach to, to fantasy football. Stay woke. Oh, man, I've been doing this for like a decade. So I've been through all the different processes of, you know, when it was like Tomlinson out here getting like 1,500 yards and scoring like 25 touchdowns when it was like, yeah, for sure, you better get your running back. But over time, though, I think it's become more of a just who scores touchdowns and not necessarily because the running back has been so – he was the dude who scored touchdowns and got all the yards. Now it's switching over to these top flight quarterbacks are getting like, you know, that guy's throwing for 5,000 yards. Even at, even at 25 yards a point, that's a whole bunch of points. There, uh, the, the way <laughs> – yeah, with it being a passing league and the way that they're spreading it out to two guys, it's not going to be – just one guy getting seventy five percent of every, of everything. It's going right. to be two or three guys splitting everything because right. like, they want to keep the defense, especially those attacking defenses. They want to keep them honest. So the only way to do it is to make sure you have more than more than one or two um, passing threats. So, the the big argument against my strategy, um, K Baz, shout out to him from a hot fire starter. We were going back and forth because um, one of his co hosts agrees with me um, like you know what I'm saying give me Aaron Rodgers to start with and then you know what I'm saying I can work it from there but his argument was the variance in the quarterback is not as great because you know you have maybe 18 20 quarterbacks who threw 20 touchdowns or more whereas the variance in the running back is a much greater because there's only you know after you get past the top like eight or ten guys there's like a huge drop-off 
But my thing is, unless you're drafting in the top four or five picks, you're not really going to get one of those guys, receivers or running back. So why not get the quarterback? You know what I'm saying? If, if, you, if, if, you're, you're, if you're not if you're not drafting in the top five of your league, you better go ahead and get your quarterback because that means in in a ten. I mean, assuming that you're in a a ten team league or more, like we are, uh, your pick doesn't come back around. If you're picking in the middle of your draft, that means you're stuck in the middle in the second round too. So you you're probably going to end up not getting a top five quarterback, and you're not going to get a top five receiver or running back. So you may as well get the the seventh or I mean the the third or fourth best QB for your first pick. Right, because you because even on a bad day, one of those QBs is going to get you like twenty points on a low end. You know, even if they have a game where they throw a couple of interceptions and you know not their best, if you can get you know the, the thing that I look at in fantasy football is how many of my guys get in double digits. If most of my guys get in double digits, then I'll probably win. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, if I can get 11 points from a running back, 14 points from a route receiver, you know, 8 or 9, 10 points from a kicker, close to 10 points from a defense, and my quarterback does what he's supposed to do, I feel good about my team every week. Hey, guys, we could do this all day. I just realized we're still recording. But I'm, I'm, That's all good. I'm going to shut down. Uh, even though I'm just looking at um, just the future uh, show topics since we've since we've done around the league, we've done our predictions. Um, of course, upcoming is going to be the discussion on Zeke Elliott when the decision is ever handed down. Yeah, because obviously that uh, Zeke has filed suit to the NFL with the assistance of the NFLPA. Uh, suit's been filed to block um, to uh, yeah to actually block the suspension. So. Ezekiel actually might be playing week one. So uh, we're going to see what impact that has. Um, obviously, the, the relief efforts to um, for Houston have kind of been spearheaded by J.J. Watt. That's been a, been a really, really big deal. It's up to $15 million and counting. Um, uh, that the Cowboys have had a tel- have posted a telethon. And, uh, of course, uh, Jerry Jones not only pledged a team, a million dollars. He actually pledged a million dollars personally. So it's just great to see sports getting involved when it comes out to um, when it comes to helping people, uh, particularly in this in this um, tragic time. Um, it's it's so it's so good to see when, especially when the whole idea of people talking about sports and saying they don't want politics slash life to be infused in their sports. Yeah, was that old saying? Stick to sports. They they try to tell people. Yeah, life right here. Yeah, you can stick to sports if you want to. You're gonna miss a lot of life. Yeah. I'm waiting for somebody to. I'm waiting for somebody to hear me with with that, so I can just go. Oh, you sweet soul. (laughs) (laughs) Don't you? You do not know. But, but Tyler, that's a good segue too. Uh, yeah, for those listening, for those that kept with us, uh, want to of course give a you know special shout out, thoughts, prayers uh, to to those that are dealing with it, the um, you know with the the flood, the recovery, and the efforts in uh, in the Houston area. We got a lot of listeners, a lot of friends that are out there that are you know that are coming on their way back, and they're dealing with property loss and property damage, 
and uh, you know, and being displaced and having to basically you know deal with that. And uh, you know, so we're we're pulling for them. If you can, uh, you know, send send money, send your prayers, uh, you know, or send anything you can to help uh, you know our friends and family out there because you know it could happen to any one of us. It has happened to a few of us out here, and uh, you know, we basically just want people to be okay. Uh, more than anything, so you know, CSPN is definitely behind any efforts towards that. I also I also want to close out the show with just kind of a just an acknowledgement. Uh, a friend of ours, uh, Kojak Delta on Twitter, he uh, passed away recently of cancer. Uh, I'll get more details. I just heard about it yesterday, but um, I've been doing this podcast thing. It probably been on Twitter about the same amount of time since about 2012. Uh, we did the Cold Slither podcast, the original show, and then we became a network and started doing things from there. Kojak has been with us, like, from jump. In fact, I when I first heard the news and stuff, I looked back, his Twitter was still up, and I started searching back, and, like, he had tweets to us when we were doing, like, the old Cold Slither podcast, like our debut episode. He was retweeting that, and he was uh, interacting with the Click Nation. He wrote for theclicknation.com. Uh, he also interacted with, like, Single Simulcast. Uh, the Razzlecast and uh, so many other shows. Uh, really a good dude, good brother. Um, but we didn't know that much about him. I think Rashani from Single Simulcast and Cyber Soldier, uh, they knew a lot more about him. And, and you know, that's where I heard most of the information from. Uh, but he was, a, you know, a poet, describes himself as a blogger, producer. He hit the gym a lot. He was always, you know, on the weights, on the plates. Uh, really good dude and such a huge loss. And you think about it, like I've never met the guy, never seen the guy except for photos, only interacted on Twitter. But, you know, I, I heard about his, you know, him passing yesterday and, you know, actually cried for somebody I've never met because of, you know, kind of what he meant to us and what we meant to him. So I want to dedicate the show and probably this week of shows to Kojak Delta. Uh, may you rest in peace, brother. And we're going to keep doing this in your memory. Appreciate you. And uh, that's really it. Uh so until next week, uh, of course, uh, Don Tyler, Jeremy, thank you for coming on. And, uh, you know, we're going to have a great you know, week of podcasting up on deck for you with CSPN Media and with No Score. And, uh, and with that, I'm, I'm going to say we out. <laughs>